0: And if you're joining us online, thank you too. Um, I really appreciate it. And I'm grateful to you for taking the time to be with us. I pray that God will speak to you as well as to those that are here in the room. The darkest valleys can become the places of greatest hope and greatest victory in God's hands if we will let them. Again and again, there are remarkable stories in people's lives. Of moments or seasons, sometimes years, when they felt as if they were never going to get out of the circumstances that they found themselves in. And yet, God, in His grace and His mercy, not only delivered them, but in those darkest moments, brought great life and great courage and great hope. And I want to talk to you this evening for a moment about how those moments can become moments of great hope and comfort whether it's Paul and Silas locked inside a prison in a city called Philippi with no sign of being able to be released and no hope at all, when suddenly an angel breaks open the prison gates and they are freed, or it is an older or a young lady at the time called Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy locked in a German concentration camp Um, In Poland called Ravensbrück. Feeling as if they've come to the very bottom of their lives. And there's no way out. And yet they encounter God's power and God's spirit in that place. And it brings them hope and comfort. They discover a miraculous intervention of God. By the provision of a vitamin bottle that never ran out. And yet Betsy died in the prison. And Corrie lived. She always wondered why. Why? But God used those darkest moments in her life and in her sister's life to bring great victory and freedom to them and to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around the world. Or it is a man called Richard Vermbrandt, who was a pastor in Romania in the 1950s and 1960s, imprisoned and beaten and left to languish for his faith. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ, the lines of which haunt me in a good way. Alone, hungry, and naked in my cell, I danced for joy. That's not the phrase you expect at the end of a sentence like that. The darkest valleys becoming the lightest moments. Or I see a Bibi, a Christian woman in Pakistan, falsely accused of blasphemy against Allah, imprisoned for 10 years, and yet this week, Free praise the Lord. At last, a woman who Britain felt it not appropriate to offer asylum to. Shame on us. Shame on us. But Canada did. And hopefully, she will soon be reunited with her family. The darkest nights in her moment, in her life, becoming moments of greatest hope. I could tell you of friends of mine, a man called Barnabas from. Cambodia who spent 12 years in a refugee camp on the Thai border and in those dark moments God met with him miraculously and powerfully. But I wonder where you are tonight online or here in the room. Is it possible that you are facing a dark moment in your life, a trial, an uncertainty, a fear, perhaps because of grief, perhaps because of Sickness, perhaps a crisis of faith, perhaps a long walk in the same direction has left you feeling drained and dry, and you need a fresh touch from God. I want to draw your attention to a story contained in the Bible, in the Old Testament, about a man called David, who was to become Israel's greatest king. If you could find in your Bibles, and you may need somebody to help you find this, 1 Samuel chapter 22. I'm going to read just a couple of verses from that. 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to read about a man who has been identified by God as the new king of the nation of Israel. His name is David. There's already a king on the throne. His name is Saul. And at the point in our story that we will pick it up, David has been given two or three opportunities at least to kill Saul or to remove him, to get rid of him so that David can take his rightful place on the throne. Each time he refuses to do so. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 21, I'll have a few moments to talk about that with you in a second. His circumstances change and David hits a crisis. He runs and he takes refuge in a cave called Adullam. Let's read together 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're only going to read the first couple of verses. David left there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over him, over them. Those who were with him numbered about. 400. Now jump to the very end of the chapter. Verse 20. One of the sons of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, named Abi escaped and fled after David. Abi told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abi I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I am responsible For the lives of all your father's house. Stay with me and do not be afraid, for the one who seeks my life seeks your life. You will be safe with me. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. David in the cave of Adullam is a powerful and beautiful story from the Old Testament of a man who fled for his life and hid. And when he fled, he came upon a cave. Some would say it was a fortress or a building. It doesn't really matter. Um, the, the word adullam could mean lots of different things. But King David uh, took refuge there and he discovered very quickly that hundreds of people who felt discontented, who felt broken, who felt alone, who felt afraid, who were being chased, who were indebted, who were, whose lives were in a mess, came and found him and stayed with him. And they were safe with him. They were protected there. They were held there. As you read the next couple of chapters of this amazing story in 1 Samuel 22 and 23 and 24, you discover that many of them became people known as David's mighty men. They were men that became great leaders in Israel, great defenders, men with great stories. After behaving so wisely, In the palace, after having refused to kill Saul on a number of occasions, after having behaved with impeccable integrity, David, the anointed king, who is content to wait for God's timing and purposes, has something of a a crisis in chapter 21 and runs. Listen to, or follow it with me in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 and following. David rose and fled that day from Saul. He went to King Ashish of Gath, The servants of Ashish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of King Ashish of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them. He pretended to be mad when in their presence. He scratched marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Ashish said to his servants, look, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And then David flees. This great, powerful, strong leader has such a crisis that he ends up feigning madness in order to get away from the situation that he's in. And he runs, he runs for his life. He runs and he hides. But in Adullam... In that cave or that fortress away from the public eye, David's faith is restored. His vision of God is renewed. His confidence in what God wants of him is built up again. He discovers and is reminded of who he is and why he is on earth. The cave became the birthplace of a new vision. That darkness became the place where light broke in. Everything was changed because of what he encountered in that cave, not only for him, but for all who went and met with him there. Adullam is mentioned eight times in the Bible. In Joshua chapter 12, verse 15, as a place. In Joshua chapter 15, verse 35, again, simply as a place. Here in our story, in 1 Samuel 22, it's mentioned again in 2 Samuel 23. In 1 Chronicles 11:15, 15, 2 Chronicles 11, 7, Nehemiah 11, verse 30, and Micah chapter 1, verse 15. I want to reflect for a moment on, on Adullam, and on you, and on me, and see what God might say to us this evening. In this story, these 400 men, and let's assume that we can say women within the context of our Evening tonight. These people. I don't think the fact that they're men is the issue. I think it's the fact that they're human. Ran to him. They ran because they were broken. They came to David. And became his followers. But tonight I want to invite you to come. To Christ. And become his people. They came to a rejected king. They came to one. Who was on a. Hit list for the powers and authorities of the day. And tonight, if you are a Christian, then you come to a king who is rejected by the world. You come to a savior who is mocked and laughed at. You come to one who became the rejected one so that you might find acceptance and life in him. They ran to a rejected king. And find security. You run to a rejected king. And find eternal life. Find hope and forgiveness. And grace and mercy and protection. You see the moment they came into this cave. They they came under the covering. Of all that David could give to them. He could give them assurance. He could give them comfort. He could give them protection. He could give them strength. They could share in his encouragement. They could share in his life. When we come to Christ we discover in him that we can share all of his resources, his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness, his life, his strength. At this moment, I want to pause for a second to make a a, a theological point, which I think is rather important if you will give me the liberty of doing so. Very often when people read the Old Testament who are Christians, they read the stories of men like David or women like Ruth or uh, men like Joshua or women like Deborah, And they put themselves into Deborah or Joshua or Ruth's shoes and make themselves the hero of the story. That's not how this works. You're not ever going to be a David. The Bible has these great kings and leaders, not to show you what you can be, but to show you what Christ is like. David is a type of Christ, not a type of you. If we identify with anybody in this story, and this really upsets people sometimes, then we identify with the 400 with the runaways, with the broken, with the rejected, with the alone, with the forsaken, with the forgotten. Just when you read like in another part of his life, David comes against a huge man called Goliath who everybody else is afraid of. And uh, Goliath says, I'm stronger than all of you. He was from a tribe called the Philistines. And everybody else is afraid to fight Goliath. David comes out and says, you come against me with spear and sword. Well, I come against you in the name of the great God of heaven and with a sling and a stone kills him. And we like to say, we can be Davids, we can be Davids, but actually David is a type of Christ. It's Christ that has won the victory for Christians. It's Christ's grace that carries us through. It's Christ's mercy that gives us hope. It's Christ's presence that gives us assurance. And we need to somehow remember that as we read stories like this. But here's my question that I'd like to ponder with you for a moment: If David is a type of Christ, and those who come to him find life and hope and forgiveness, then what is a Dullum? Where is a modern day a dullum? I think it's every local church in the world. We're supposed to be a place of safety for those that are broken, for those that have lost their way, for those that are sinking under the weight of life, for those that have nowhere else to go and no one else to stand for them, no one else that will protect them. No one else that understands them or cares for them. They can't go to a Dullam. But every local band of followers of our King Jesus is supposed to be a community where people like that can find hope and they can find comfort and they can find strength. Do you read or did you notice what it says in verse 2 of this story? Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Now jump forward and think for a moment about the ministry of Jesus Christ. Who did he gather around him? The great and the good and the powerful and the strong and the wealthy and the influential and the significant? No. He gathered around him those that were in distress and in debt and discontented. Look at the stories of the people that he encountered. People that many of us would walk past the street, walk passed in the street rather than stop and care for. The prostitute, the child, the person from the other religion, the fellow that kicked with the other foot, the people from the other side of the fence, the other side of town. Jesus went out of his way to meet such people. He took those that others called traitors, tax collectors, and he welcomed them into his community. But not only did he do that, he brought those that were zealots and, 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 and fundamentalists and brought them into his family and his community too. And then he made them work together. That's great, isn't it? That definitely describes a Northern Ireland local church, I think. I want to say to you this evening that if you are in distress, if you are in debt, emotionally, physically, psychologically, practically, up to your eyes with credit card payments and mortgages that are dragging you under and wondering how you're going to pay for the car and where your next meal is going to come from, then the local church is a place that can help and serve and love you in the name of Jesus. But not because we are strong, not because we are good, not because we have the resources, but because we are in love with our captain. Our captain is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Everyone who was in debt, in distress and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. The captain of your soul and my soul is Jesus Christ if you will let him be and there is no safer place to be. There is no stronger person to have on your side. There is no one who is able to protect you more. There is no situation that he cannot handle. There's no set of circumstances that will take him by surprise. Those that gathered to David at Adullam found refuge there. They were attracted by David. They somehow had heard of him. They became attached to him. They remembered how much he had loved them. They sought and they found refuge with him. In verse 23 of this chapter, we're told that he would be their safeguard. Isn't that what's happened to you if you're a Christian tonight for a moment? Think about it. Why did you come to Jesus? Why have you stayed alongside him? Because he is your captain. Can I invite you, if you are a follower of Christ already here or online, to pause for a moment and to reflect and remember what he's brought you through. Remember the times that he's held you. When you would have walked away and he said, no, I'm not going to let you go. When you turned your back on him, but he didn't turn his back on you. When you let him down and he bent down and picked you up and said, are you ready to start again? Then I'm ready to start again with you. When you came to the end of yourself and he was still there, what a great God we serve. What a faithful God. What a loving God. He is our place of refuge. He is our security. He is our captain. And when those who love him gather together, we are supposed to be an assembly of the displaced and the broken and the lost who have found ourselves in Jesus Christ. We're not a community of the perfect. We're not a community that always gets it right. We don't have the right to look down our spiritual noses at anybody else. My prayer is that here in Dundonald Elam, we will always be a community that welcomes those that feel distressed and lost and forgotten, that have been sidelined by the rest of society, perhaps even sidelined by the rest of the church. If you will permit me for a moment, let me talk about one of the many things that I love about being part of the Elam Church family. I'm not on some kind of denominational um, bonus scheme, by the way. But one of the things I love about the Elam Church, in fact, I would say about the Pentecostal church and about the Salvation Army is that it has always been a church for those that other churches have looked down their noses at. When William Booth founded the Salvation Army in the, la- in the century before the last century, um, he was asked, why did you find it? And he said, because there was no church for the poor in London. Where is that church tonight? Across Northern Ireland. Where is the church where the working class and those that are at the bottom end of whatever social strategy you want to have feel as if they can belong and be? My prayer is that we will be such a community that there will always be room here for ordinary men and women whose lives are falling apart and religious people reject or turn away from because they're not good enough or they're not clever enough or they're not academic enough or they're not spiritual enough or they're not religious enough or they haven't learned the right words and they don't carry the right Bible. Lord, send them to us and let this be a community that beats with the heart that Jesus has for the broken and the lost and the vulnerable. If you are in distress if you are in fear, if you are in anxiety, if you are crippled with the pains of life, if you are uncertain where to turn, if you don't know how to handle what life is throwing at you, then please, in Jesus' name, let us help you. Let us show you the saviour, the one that can pick you up and give you hope and confidence and a new start and forgive you and hold you. But to come to Adullam, to come to Jesus is to face rejection. It's to be laughed at. It's to be mocked. I know those of you that are Christians probably realize this, but it's worth saying it again just for a moment. Why, your Northern Ireland, society isn't going to applaud you and say, I'm so glad you're Christians. You're never going to be able to get entirely what it is that motivates your heart. We don't become Christians because it's socially popular. We're not on some kind of spiritual version of Made in Chelsea, thank God. (laughs) This is a community. Every local church is a community that is associated with the one who was rejected. If the world rejected the teaching of Jesus, why would it listen to you? why do you expect them to? If the world laughed at Christ, why wouldn't it laugh at the church? If the world said that Christian faith was an irrelevance, why wouldn't it say the same today? I'm always remarkably struck by one of the stories in the New Testament of one of the disciples of Jesus. His name was uh, Philip, uh, Nathaniel. And um, he was from Nazareth. He was um, sitting under a tree and Jesus saw him. And Philip's, uh, was it Philip or Nathaniel? I'm having a senior moment, Nathaniel. Nathaniel's response to Jesus who called him was, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's still what wider culture says about the church. Christian, you're having a laugh. Can anything good come from the church? Can anything good come from the Nazarene? We don't want him. Or they'll say the other thing. Turn these stones into bread and then we'll listen to you. All we want from you as the church is your good works. We don't want Jesus. We want you to feed the poor and to clothe the naked and care for the hungry. You want, we want you to make space um, to serve society. But we don't want your motivation. We don't want the petrol of your faith. It doesn't work that way. In 2001, I was involved in finding a a social movement, a Christian social movement called FaithWorks that spoke to the then incoming government and said, look, you can have our action, our social engagement, but you can't deny us our faith We ended up meeting with Prime Minister after Prime Minister and talking to people all around the world. I left it in 2008, and this is not me being negative. This is just me being honest. Nothing had changed. Wider society still said, we'll have your good works, but we don't want your faith, thank you very much. As an aside, the highest provider of um, emergency housing in the United Kingdom, that will be the church, the highest provider of youth uh, support in the United Kingdom. That'll be the church the one that is able to help people who are homeless more than anybody else and is consistently there, that'll be the church. For 600 years before the health service existed, who was it that was motivated to help and engage in society and bring succor and strength to those that were sick and needed help? Oh, that would have been the church. Who was it that provided education long before there was a a universal education act? Oh, that'll be the church too. Who was it that got children out of um, half-time working down mines and working in mills and working in factories so that they could get a half and education. That'll be the church. Who was it that championed women's rights in the United Kingdom and around the world? Oh, that'll be the church. Who was it that defended the right of every person to have a voice in their society and to be an active part of it? Oh, that'll be the church. Upon what is British democracy based? It's not based on some kind of wide-ranging set of rules and principles that evolved out of nowhere. It's based on the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the Jewish Scriptures, the Christian Bible. The church has sat at the heart of everything that is good for the world for society for 2,000 years. So before somebody tells you, breathe, (laughs) that the church has nothing positive to say into the world, that the church is an irrelevance, I'm not saying that. You can have confidence in this community of displaced and forgotten and lost people because God has used us to transform the planet and we are still the strongest force for good in the universe. We're still the strongest force for good in society. You go to communities where there is violence and there is conflict and you will find Christians on the ground risking their lives. It's very hard to find a humanist on the streets of London at Christmas who's out helping people that have nothing to eat and nowhere to live. It's not so hard to find Christians. So yes, we are an irrelevance in the eyes of the world. We are people that they can laugh at and mock but the reality is that this band of displaced and forgotten people motivated by faith in Jesus Christ has been a force for good for 2,000 years and I'm proud to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not apologetic for this gospel that changes lives. Don't think for one minute that when I talk about you feeling rejected and forgotten and distressed and broken that I mean that you're helpless. That you've nothing to contribute to society, God is able to take your life and not only give you back hope, but use your life as a force for good in your day and in your generation. He's able to take your gifts and your skills and your dreams, just as he did with David and these mighty men. They ended up mighty men, even though they started distressed, forgotten, broken, and running away. What could God do with your life tonight? You see, the resources that these men linked into in Adullam were David's resources. And their problems and their hassles and their difficulties were soon absorbed by his company. David encouraged them. David the king shaped their future. David was with them. They also had a priest called Abiathar and a prophet called Gad. They had everything that they needed because they were close to David There's a verse in the New Testament from the first general epistle of Peter and it says this, God has given you everything you need for godliness in him. All you need for a successful life is found in Jesus Christ. You might have come here tonight feeling distressed and broken and neglected and forgotten. But you can leave with your head held high because God will accept you in Christ. He'll give you life and hope and courage and strength. He will nurture you and sustain you. How did Jesus become our David? How does the church become our Adullam? Because Jesus suffered utter rejection for you. He endured utter abandonment for you. He bore your sin. He carried your wrongdoing. He took your shame He was acquainted with grief. He became a man of sorrows. He wept over what breaks your heart. He replaced you on the cross and paid your price and bought you back for God. He took everything that could separate you from your heavenly father and carried it upon himself and offered you everything that could connect you to your heavenly father because of who he was. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you've done. You may be here because you have just started attending the Alpha Course and you think, do I have to wait until week three or four before I become a Christian? No. You can make a decision right here, right now to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you'll not be disappointed. As Jesus died, he died for you. His blood wipes away your sin. You will have noticed the last verses at the end of 1 Samuel 22. I read them to you a moment or two ago. Stay with me, David said, and do not be afraid. For the one who seeks my life seeks your life, but you will be safe with me. Don't you think that's beautiful? The one who seeks your life seeks Jesus' life. The one who seeks your life seeks God's life, but you're safe with him. There's a wonderful story told in the Old Testament of a man called Moses who wanted to see God's glory. And God said it to him, you can't see me and live. It's told in Exodus chapter 33. But he says this to him, there is a little cleft in the rock where you can hide. I'm telling you tonight, there's a cleft in the rock. There's a space where you can hide in Christ that will keep you safe. <clears throat> in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the mourning, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of all the tests, in the midst of everything that could be said to you, there is a safe place close to Jesus for you if you need it and if you're willing to step into it. David wrote something whilst he was in Adullam's cave. You can read it as he reflected on all that had happened to him. We call it Psalm 34. And in that Psalm, he tells the story of what happens when you are found in a dark and a difficult place. And you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do, but you discover that God is your refuge. Listen to some of the words from it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Look to him and be radiant and your faces will never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in the Lord. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirits. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. When Corrie ten Boom was asked how she knew that God could be in the darkest pit and send light into it, Her sister, she quoted something that her sister said and it was very simply this, because we went to hell and God came with us. David wrote the words, the Lord is close to those who are crushed in spirit and near to those who are brokenhearted when he was crushed in spirit and brokenhearted. When he felt abandoned by everybody, he didn't feel sorry for himself. He dug into the reality that God was there ready to help him and it transformed him. This evening, come to him. Seek refuge with him. Let him take your cave and turn it into a birthplace for the kingdom. Let him turn your despair into victory. Let him turn your fear into faith. Let him turn your mistakes into a moment of new birth and new life. You don't have to rely on anything else, God is enough. Ask a Christian who's near you if God is enough and hear them tell you of the times that he has taken them through. But these people went to David at Adullam. You need to come to Christ because he has come to you. And he offers his hands to you now. He opens his heart to you now and he says, I am enough for you. Will you let me help you? Will you let me forgive you? Now, those of you that aren't Christians have clearly heard me saying that again and again, here and online. But I'm also saying that to those of you that are. God is enough for you. Christ is enough for you. We're not a perfect church. Do you know how I know that? Because I lead it. Could you think of anything worse than a church of four or five hundred people like me. I saw one man agree with me there. <laughs> I can. A church of four or five hundred people like you. <laughs> one of you said, Well, I don't know. That might not be too bad. We're not a perfect church, but we're not supposed to be. To Donald Elam, never take yourself so seriously that you think that you're above anybody else. Never get too full of yourself. And never let me get too full of myself. Never let me take myself so seriously that I think I could look down with spiritual nose and pull my glasses to the end of my nose when I'm preaching and wag my finger at you. Instead, in this moment and in our life together, let's remember that we are... The distressed and the broken and the dispossessed. Brother, sister, where would you have been without Jesus? What would your life have been like without him? Think about that for a minute. I'm humbled because I know at least part of the answer to that in my own life. We need him. You need his grace as much now as you needed it the first time you heard about it. And he is enough.